Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. I am snowed in. Mike Casazza welcoming in Chris Anderson. Chris, uh, question and answer episode today. Subscribers send questions. We have answers. But very briefly. Level very, very, very briefly, right? Level of concern for basketball. Because didn't look good for a lot of Saturday's game. Looked good for a little. And then the schedule is really unrelenting, and this conference is brutal. Um, kind of a, a fragile state for a team that I think Huggins is worried about a lot of the newcomers and how they'd react to the conference. And it really, here comes the meat grinder right now. Yeah, I, I mean, you look at this league and you look at what's happening the last few days. I, you know, I do my weekly rankings and. I was stumped and and you look around at other rankings like analytical rankings the the net rankings the RPI the the Ken Palm and they kind of flip-flop all over the place on who they think's the best team what what's who has the toughest strength of schedule strength of record all that stuff um I posted on the board West Virginia is the number 2 team in the league according to RPI is that like an indictment on RPI or should that tell WV fans that maybe things aren't quite as bad as they think? I'm not sure, but this is a tough league. And and the three teams at the bottom of the league standings currently all won on the weekend, beating number one Baylor, beating Texas Tech. I mean, they're beating good teams too. So it's just not an easy, there's no, uh, what it, how did Huggins used to put it where you got to play so you know one of those crummy big east teams where you always had a couple games where you could kind of just like ah finally take a break it's not happening in this league yeah this is big east style basketball too these are not offensive games they're not very pretty like these are old big east games um defense really physical getting stops getting rebounds scratching things out it's it's really turned i remember when they when they came into this conference huggins was worried about us like front court players and that he didn't have stretch threes and you know, he had a big East roster in the Big 12, and they were not you know, smooth enough, mobile enough on defense especially. And, and now the rosters and everything have just totally changed. And I really think it's because you have so many, like, veteran players on teams because of the transfer portal. Like, I think, I think because a lot of players have transferred that some people have been able to grow up in programs. Uh, and not just seniors, but, like, you can have old sophomores and old juniors. But also you're throwing a lot of, like, old transfers onto teams too. And it's so hard to get an offense together that you can just like throw newcomers together and play defense or just get by on okay offense. That's not very good. So I think a lack of quality offense and some really good defense has kind of made this really like a throwback league. Like this is like early, I don't know, like early 2010s, 2008, 2009 basketball. It feels like in the big East and I did not see that coming, but yeah, one to 10, it's, it's, it's brutal. It's brutal. There's, there's no off night here too. And I don't like, you're going to have bad nights and you're going to have a good day or a good week. And all of a sudden you're going to get checked back to reality pretty quickly, which I don't know, maybe that, maybe that's what happened there uh, on Saturday. It's a hard place to win, but man, losing by 26 and you had a, a nice eight point lead and a 14 0 run in the first half is that is a, that's whiplash right there. Yeah, it was bad. I think after West Virginia took the eight point lead, I believe it was as big as their, their lead got. Um, if my math was correct, Kansas outscored West Virginia 71 to 37 after that. Um, that I mean, that that's just a beatdown. Um, again, Kansas is good. Kansas is very good. Allen Fieldhouse is a hard place to play, a very hard place to play. West Virginia played poorly, very poorly. So all three of those things together <clears throat> result in that kind of 71 to 37 run. I don't think this is like just the, the sign of the end times for, for WVU basketball this year, but you can't play like that against anybody in this league is the problem. And it just looks that much worse against a team like Kansas. I looked into this. Um, when the other team scores 
52 points and a half and you score 59 in the game, <laughs> it's hard to win. Fact. That, that is a fact. That Your math is very good, too, Michael. Fact is, formerly number one ranked Baylor is on the way to town. They've had good times and bad times in the Coliseum, and you kind of reset the deck on Tuesday at 5 p.m., don't forget. So, hey, if you want to get back in your feet, that's a pretty good Pretty good opportunity, and if not, if you lose back-to-back games to Kansas and Baylor, well, Baylor just lost back-to-back home games as the number one team in the country. That's never happened before, and that's kind of a a feather in the cap for the quality of this league. Chris, I believe we can get into our Q&A today with a basketball question. What do you think? Yeah, let's get it started. We're going to try to go through as many of these questions as possible instead of doing the five or six questions and talking a bunch and then me writing afterwards. We're just going to do 20 of them and talk a little that turns into a bunch. So first question right off top, just going to kind of roll down, roll down uh, the list. Uh, Hamilton 220, if an 8-10 and 10 conference record gets WVU in the dance, what are the top three must-win games remaining? Um, for your information, West Virginia 2-2, two and two, so that means 6-8 and eight the rest of the way for West Virginia, which would make them 19-11 and 11 overall. Mike, one, is that good enough to get in the dance? Two, as Hamilton asks, what are the three that they have to win to make that six and eight finish seem better? I think that I think that'll be fine. Like eight wins in this league is going to be pretty good because you're going to beat, I don't know, five or six tournament teams, right? Mm-hmm. In that eight, so that's good. I would think that you you got to get, man, I don't want to say you have to get Baylor or Kansas at home, but you're going to need a quality win certainly in there against one of those teams. So if you're just getting swept by the teams above you, that's not that's not going to help you out there. So. I would say watch out for the Kansas one. I think that would be a good one to get. And you could probably cobble together a couple others there. Like, it's probably good to beat Texas Tech at home, but if you can get them on the road, that's good too. So I don't want to, like, pick two. I'm not running from the answer. There's so many opportunities that pick two of them. You just don't get swept by the teams above you. I would really circle that Arkansas game. That's a non-conference one against a quality opponent that's, that's, you know, on the road, it's a showcase game, and that, that goes in your non-conference strength of schedule. So conference play is here, I get that, but non-conference play is not yet over. You know, throw a dart, land on two of the Big 12 games, because again, you don't want to get swept by the teams above you. But be sure to include Arkansas in that answer, too. Like, I think you really have to put an emphasis on winning that game because it's on the road, it's non-conference, it's a showcase game, it's your... It's a resume filler for you. At a, it's a weird time of the season, but that could actually kind of help you out and give you a boost. Yeah, I was. My first thought was actually not the who, but the win, uh, as far as this conference goes, because you look at the rest of the schedule. There are mostly quad one games remaining, because even like the the teams lower in the league, like a Kansas State, are on the road. I don't know if that's going to be quad one. It might be close. It might be quad two, but still. Uh, Essentially, the only one that's guaranteed not to be quad one might be TCU or maybe even that one, too, at the end of the season. But so I was originally thinking. Pick any of the three of the last five, because I know. They've shied away from this a little bit, but I still think there's some influence of how you finish, especially in the regular season. So if West Virginia, you know, wins six of their next uh, God, six wins, six, eight wins. You're right, Mike. Like, God, eight wins is almost assuredly in the dance, no matter when they come. But I still would like to see, rather see at least two of those three come at the end of the year. And I agree with you. That Arkansas game, it's not a must win, but man, that's a feather in the cap. That is a feather in the cap because all the stuff in the Big 12, you can write off, hey, toughest, toughest league in the country. It's going to happen. You're going to lose some games. Going around 500, pretty good. Um, Arkansas, though, going out there, beating one of the best teams in the country from another conference, that, that, that's a feather in the cap, like you said. Yep. And, hey, the Big East or the Big 12 was really hard, blah, blah, blah. If you step outside the Big 12, you should be successful. NC Wayward Ear asks, we're, we're, we might bounce back and forth between football and basketball because I'm not going in any order. I'm just going as they were posted. Uh, what are the top three, four things you are most curious about between now and the end of spring football? Who's the final coach on the staff? Mm-hmm. What will Neil Brown do during those 15 practices? Who's making plays in the receiver room? 
You're not even going to touch a quarterback. <laughs> I just feel like that's the evergreen answer. Okay, I'm not, yeah. I don't have I don't have quarterback fatigue, but I think that's the unspoken obvious answer there. But the other ones do have my attention. All right, I'm with you on those things. Let me add, and and maybe people won't like this answer much here, but will there be a spring game? Like an actual full spring game? Mm-hmm. And I ask it that way because, one, we saw West Virginia kind of trend a little bit away from it. It's like a scrimmage with a little bit of practice, a little bit of this and that. And I know they're they're going to be adding guys and – there is the potential, given the extra scholarships available, to get back up closer to 80, 85 by the time fall rolls around. But for spring ball, these numbers are going to be low. And, and that's just the reality of it. I'm pretty sure it's a little bit lower than it was last year. And there were concerns last year about having a full, you know, four deep, essentially, is what you need for a true spring game. I don't know if you can get a full four, you know, four deep again this spring, given the current roster situation. And that's not this isn't me, you know, knocking player management and everything going on within the program. I'm just saying it's gonna be tough to have a real live full on scrimmage at the end of spring for that spring game. So I'm curious to see what happens there. Quarterback. And yeah, the the uh, last coach, what's going to happen there? Who's going to get moved? Anything else changes because. We have seen coaching changes happen as late as February. Um, so that's not out of the question that that nothing's going to happen until then. So we still got a few more weeks before this could be. I mean, it could be resolved tomorrow. It could be resolved. You know how we do on this podcast. We talk about something and it gets resolved that day. But it, it's still something that's up in the air. Also, in the running for a good answer is how long they can extend that enrollment deadline to. I just, I, it strikes me as odd they haven't been more active in the portal. And there's a question about that. But man, how long can that backboard be moved? We'll, we'll see. Timber Pimp, any thoughts as to why Huggins' teams seem to routinely go through long scoring droughts during games? Is there data, data to back that up, or am I just imagining things? No, there's, there's data. You're not imagining things. Yeah. That's speaking of Evergreen, it, it seems like since. They've been here for what 15 years now. That it's there's been some sort of a drought for a collection of teams. The good final four team obviously had that. The team that went to the CBI and, and won a game had that too. I don't think he coaches those in. It's not like he bakes in a scoring drought into his game plan or his practices, but it does seem that they they do miss shots in a string and go through a all of a sudden, you know, you look at the, the scoreboard and they're they're 315 without a point or a basket. Um, they haven't been very efficient or very pretty offensive teams. They just haven't. I think it's because there's so much of an emphasis and practice on on uh, rebounding and, and defense that perhaps not as much polish is applied to offense, but they work on it. And you might see attacks on your offense when you put so much in a game into defense and, and the rebounding. Certainly the press Virginia teams had that problem. You know, you take a bite out of the other team's legs, but you do it to yourself too. Um, but the funny thing is, what were we talking about last year? They turn their season around by being, you know, kind of a high-scoring, hot-shooting offensive team. So um, it spins around. It's a circle, and, and they, they can get hot in games, too. Don't forget, they have fallen behind by 10 or more points seven times this year. That's indicative of a bad offense. Come back and won four of them, too. So it's it's cyclical, and unfortunately, it's not very consistent with impressive offensive basketball. I don't have much to add except that uh, I, think two year, I think it was two years ago. Maybe it was three um, I was doing a little preview thing. I believe it was with one of our Kansas State guys. And they made mention of how their team routinely goes into long scoring droughts and was was complaining about it. And then I talked to was our Iowa State guy. Their team went through long scoring droughts and it was irritating to watch. And, and, it, and so on and so on and so on. It's college basketball. This happens. And, and West Virginia, I feel like, yes, they do. I, I mean, it's, it's wild to watch them go through these long-scoring droughts. But I also feel like they, they force long-scoring droughts a lot more than maybe other teams as well. So it's a give and a take, as you noted, that, that maybe the scoring droughts happen because they focus on ba- defense so much and rebounding. But that focus on defense and rebounding also forces other teams into long-scoring droughts as well. So it's a give and take and meh. It happens. Um, Cole, eighteen sixty-seven. Looking at Jackson Dart's numbers from his freshman year, 
62% completion, nine TDs, five INTs. So, eh. Does WVU's starting QB surpass those averages on the year? Care to take a stab at the final stat line? It's going to be tough. Yeah, so 225 per game, one and a half touchdowns, 0.8 interceptions. That's a freshman's numbers. He played six games. Um, team was a mess. He was not the problem. Would you take 225 yards a game, one and a half touchdowns, and less than a pick per game from a sophomore or a freshman next year? And none of them has the pedigree that Dart has either. So I know Marchio is a talented and celebrated recruit, but he's not thought on the same level as Dart. That seems like it'd be a pretty good, pretty good start for a, a guy new to college football. I mean, even Green, um, new offensive coordinator, new situation. I mean, that seems like you would probably take that right now if you could, right? Yeah, I would think I would think so. But let's also point out the fact that on a few of these games, he did not. So there's six games. Three of them, he either did not start or did not finish. Mm-hmm. So in the three starts that he had where he started and finished the rest of the game, his team average, scored 31, 33, and 45 points. He averaged over 300 yards passing and had six touchdowns, two, four interceptions. So four of those interceptions were in there. Um, again, that's pretty darn good for, for a freshman. So I would absolutely take that. I think the numbers are a little bit misleading there just because the averages are down when, you know, he's only in there for less than a half against Arizona, uh, only in there for just a little bit against Arizona State, and it came out against Cal, I believe, too, So and was playing pretty well. But that's three games where he didn't actually play a full game, and it's really killing his numbers on those averages. So mm-hmm. just wanted to point that out, too. So what do you think on on season totals then, too? Would you take – well, I'm trying to think here, like 300 yards a game times 12 is 36. That's probably excessive. But like, would you take 2,500 yards? That's you know, two-ish a game. Um, and then, I don't know, two touchdowns a game would be 20. Let's say 2,500 yards, 25 touchdowns. That's, I think that's, a, tw- that's a high bar. Yeah, I mean, the 2,500 yards would be pretty disappointing. But if you're throwing 25 touchdowns, that tells me you're you're finishing in the red zone. You're being efficient. The offense is scoring. So, yes, I, I think I would take that. Uh, let me, I'm off the top of my head. I can't remember how many touchdowns Daggy threw this year. So he threw 19 touchdowns. Mm. So, yeah, 25 would be, so 2,500 yards would be the equivalent of last year for Daggy, but that was only in 10 games. Um, but the 25 touchdowns would be a lot, a lot more than what Daggy had in any year. So, yeah, the, the the touchdown thing tells me he's being efficient. He's finishing drives, uh, converting in the red zone. Um, the yardage total tells me that either, A, West Virginia is leaning a lot more on the run game, or, B, it's a lot more dink and dunk than anything else. So, uh, yeah, I think I'd take that, 2,525. I, I would, just because of the touchdowns. 26.5 points per game in 2020. 25.2 points per game in 2021. That's the number that has to go up. Mm-hmm. So touchdowns, yards, that can contribute to it too. But I think um, it's got to score more. And again, you, you answer a lot of questions if you have a quarterback who can answer a lot of questions too. So that's a really, it's an important position, obviously. Where I know we're not done talking about it here, so I'll just, I'll keep my comments in the minimum. <laughs> but, but that's a high bar for a first-year player. Like if you go back and look at like Geno Smith's first year, um, that was that was kind of surprising, I think, in some regard. Because of how good he was, it's it's hard to get a quarterback to come in, and he wasn't a, he wasn't a freshman freshman. He played a little bit as a true freshman year, but um, when his first year as a starter, I think people were pretty surprised and pretty happy by how he played. Is that the expectation? That's probably the last time that you had um, a guy young come in. Um, would, would have been twenty ten. Would have been his sophomore year, right? Let's see. Yeah. Uh, twenty seven hundred yards, twenty four touchdowns, seven interceptions, sixty five percent completion percentage. If you got that out of your quarterback this year, that'd be fantastic. Absolutely. Uh, WV ball fan. What, if anything, will we be able to take away from spring ball? Follow up. Has anything from spring ball carried over well to the field since Neil Brown's tenure, starting lineups, depth chart, etc.? Well, for one reason or another, the receivers haven't seen a whole lot of movement 
in the depth chart in the past couple of years. So the guys that they had the first spring, they by and large in, in some quantity they still have now. Like you're still talking about Bryce Ford Wheaton and Sam James. Um, those guys are still there, we think, right? Mm-hmm. We haven't seen the smoke come out of the Vatican lately here, but those seem like those two seem like they're going to stay. Um, and we haven't seen a whole lot of movement. Guys haven't been able to climb up during the spring or get past anybody. They haven't had great numbers there, and that's by, probably not going to change this year either. I would say that last year they pretty much pinned down their offensive line in the spring, right? Right. And that didn't change a whole lot. And that that togetherness from one through five, left to right, that eventually did pay off in in progress and, and small steps forward against the right opposition late in the season. So that's been good well, too. Milam was the the one thing that changed. Obviously, yes. Last but you year, still yeah. Had, but remember, they had to figure out, okay, is, is you know, is Nestor a tackle, a guard? Is he right or is he left? He was right guard pretty much all of the spring, and he never really got a whole lot of action on the left because they liked Yates and Gimitter. But, yeah, once Milan came in, that completed everything. Um, and then defense has been pretty static, which is good. I mean, they've had some people come in, in the summers, but I remember, like, the Mesador was here for a spring, right? And they thought he had a chance, and he was good. So that was that was a good sign there too. There's been a couple of things like that. So um, I don't know. Can you think of examples that have transferred over before I get to the answer? Uh, before you get to the actual answer, yeah. oh man, uh, I, I will say this. I'm not sure. I think the offensive line stuff is is right. That that's what I would think is something that does transition over because we have seen so many storylines from spring ball over the years, and this is not a Neil Brown thing. This is not a West Virginia thing. It's a everywhere thing. Um, where, where storylines take over in the spring, and it just doesn't hold true come fall. So I think there are some things you can talk about. Uh, offensive line will be one of them, especially with everybody coming back. But also running back, I think, could be a pretty clear – I don't think we're going to get an answer at quarterback. I think maybe you'll see some skill sets that you'll have a sense of what you have. But a lot of that, I have a feeling they're going to try to hide a good little bit of that uh, and there will be no declaration of a starter come end of spring. and But I do think there might be some clear answers as to who's going to step up at running back before the fall. Okay. Here's my, my lone quarterback content contribution. Right. <clears throat> okay. How do you give reps to three guys, maybe four, but probably just three guys in the spring? And you might have like an, an 85-15 split, but then somebody's out, or you may have – uh, a 66 33 spit you have I, i've seen different situations where this guy's number one this guy's number two and this guy's just on the side that's there he gets a very little bit of action I, i've never seen like 33 33 33 i don't know how they're going to do that i don't know harold's practice script or schedule very well but i know the holgerson and brown have had their ways of doing it and typically you lean on two and you rotate them in and out it's hard to get three guys going around um but they're going to create a ton of reps in practice. That's that's Harold's thing. Is like you're not going to practice a lot of things, but you're going to practice a couple of things a ton. So maybe you can equally develop and progress and evaluate three quarterbacks. I'm not sure how they do that, but I think by the end of it, how they structure their practice and then the results that we see in reps and and in the conversations or who was number one this day, if we can keep track of that stuff, I think we'll have an idea of who's ahead at quarterback at the end no declaration you're right they're not going to name one because they'll lose one probably and it's probably best to keep this going in the offseason like you can learn a lot about your quarterback position in the summer by who's leading who's organizing workouts they track all those throws in the summer too they got all these fancy equipment and and machines they can throw passes um without a quarterback anymore it'd be nice to have the quarterback around and throwing passes this summer because you're going to need that so i think you'll have a leader if you pay attention you're not going to have a named leader because it's not a good idea but I think we can figure out how they structure practice and pour reps into certain players that we might have an idea who's in the lead at the spring. I think it's going to develop as it goes along. And maybe it's in thirds itself, first five days, second five days, final five days. But I think we pay attention, we'll have an idea. How many more questions about quarterback do we have? Should I save? Thoughts? <laughs> okay. There's likely one more, sure, right? Okay, yeah. All right. Uh, this one from Chestnuts is it's a four part question. I always enjoy these. What going for spring ball? What position is the deepest? Well, I'll do two at a time. What position is the deepest? What position is the thinnest? Go first. Deepest? I think it's still defensive line. Okay. Uh, thinnest? So, so group, though, right? Okay. Yeah, group. yeah. Um, thinnest? Is it, I mean, is it quarterback? Is it wide receiver? Definitely quarterback, right? Yeah. 
it, I guess that's how you qualify thinnest. Right. Like if you're like you have a lot of guys, you're you're about as full a quarterback as you're gonna get. Correct. Thin, but what do you have? We don't you know. have some you have some guys at receiver, but you don't have a lot of guys. Yeah. Did We're you have a different answer for deepest? Uh no, I think your defensive line is probably good. Um I feel a lot better about cornerback than before. Like mm-hmm. again, about as full as you're gonna get, I think, because they have some returning players, they added a good transfer. There's some there's some possibilities there to be good. They'd probably be better if they had Jackie Matthews back, but oh well. Um but pretty good there. I'm still really concerned about safety though. Linebacker's not as bad because you got Josh Chandler Samito back and they've recruited looks like some answers there. So that's not as much of a concern. X-ray low is still around. X-ray low is still around, by the way. Um it's amazing. Uh, but yeah, that, those two safety spots, and, and and again, I know Saint McLeod played well, but we'll see. You know, can he do it for a full off season and hold on? So those three safety spots, I'd like to, I'd like to, I'd like to have as many um, reassurances, whether it's by experience or by bodies, as I have at other positions. They're in good, they're in good spots in certain aspects on different sides of the ball because they have depth and talent. That safety one is really worrisome though. The other two questions, <clears throat> obviously related, but what position is more likely set in stone depth chart-wise, and what position will see movement depth chart-wise? Both lines are probably set in stone, right? I th- yeah, that's what I was, I was thinking. I know there's been some, some looks at some junior college linemen, some talk about a transfer lineman, but nothing more than talk, it seems. I mean, a couple of these junior college linemen that claimed offers – I'd follow up with and then never really got an invite for a visit or anything. So I don't know if West Virginia got cold feet, liked the answer they had somewhere else or, or what. But, um, yeah, I, I feel like both both lines are pretty well set. I think you're going to see some movement at receiver, too. That wide position is very important for Harrell in his offense. Um, and they just they don't have a ton of combinations right now. So if you're trying to get – all your guys on the field at once that are best. Well, wait a minute, maybe Bryce Ford Wheaton and Caden Prey, they both do play the same spot, but you really can't keep them one behind the other right now. Um, and maybe, I don't know, maybe Prather is, maybe Prather is a, the best fit to be inside at Y. We'll see. I mean, they played Drake London at Y at USC. He's 6'5", 220. They've also played like smaller guys of the Winston Wright, you know, frame. So unfortunately they don't have him. Probably would have been a good, a good experience for him this spring, but um just because the numbers they that they don't have right now, especially without Jeremiah Aaron being here for the spring, um, I think you'll see a lot of movement probably through the summer too at receiver. Yeah, um, I mean, can there be movement if there is no current answer? I was gonna say, I guess running back, quarterback could be movement, but yeah, as far as guys, known quantities, um and who could be moved around. I think it's got to be wide receiver too. I'm with you on that one. Um, not, not a lot of numbers there. No, not a lot on at here. all. Uh, do, do we want to take the quarter, the next quarterback question? What are the chances that the team takes an unknown high school quarterback to add depth in case one or two other quarterbacks leave in the spring? I love it. Shoot your shot. As from uh, a user named CJ Brooks. Might be referring to a quarterback named C.J. Brooks who came through camp and, and looked looked pretty good, and coaches are aware of him. So, who knows? Actually, I mean, they, you got to have at least year. three or four arms in in the uh, in the room. So, uh, I believe there is a chance. Let's all be realists here. This isn't anything we're we're hearing or reporting or anything like that. Let's all be realists here in that if there is a clear or clearer answer at who's going to be starting quarterback there is a chance that one of the scholarship quarterbacks elects to transfer at the end of spring i mean that's just the reality of college football so the idea that one of them leaves and then west virginia turns around and needs to add someone else for the fall very realistic brooks was the leading passer among seniors in class 8a in florida uh 2700 yards 35 touchdowns nine interceptions and has a really small offer list. So we saw him in the summer. I saw him in the summer. I thought he'd look great. I couldn't understand um, uh, the the lack of offers he had. And he produced again this year in Orlando. And, man, just never added up for him. But good player, trying hard, working hard, really out there pushing himself, trying to find a spot. Has an offer from West Virginia State, I believe. So perhaps he ends up in the border. 
one way or the other. But yeah, they if that's kind of like where you're at. You're right. Like if you have to add somebody, then it's it's someone like that that you may be looking to acquire and see what happens there for him. So it could be him. It could be somebody else. But that's a profile they have to keep their eye on. People like that, like you know, if they need an arm, you can't go in with like one or two quarterbacks. So it never really ends. So you're you're obsessed with the high end transfer portal guys, but you know the, the available recruits. There's not a lot of junior college passers out there. Um, so available recruits or, or, you know, maybe laid out junior college guys or, I don't know, perhaps some guys who are under the portal late. It's uh, Again, that's that's something to keep an eye on, obviously, until the, probably the first practice of the preseason. Uh, next question from Jay Mole, 1989. I know it's early in the recruiting cycle, but how do you think the 2023 class will stack up compared to the past two classes? Does the staff seem as confident as they have in the past two cycles, such as coaches claiming this to be the best class ever? <clears throat> also, who is your prediction for highest rated player WV could get? Um, the last the 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 answer to the last question there, I'm I'm almost certain is Rodney Gallagher, who we've talked about plenty. Uh, he is a top 100 recruit, 96.29 rating, you know, out of, out of a out of 100 there. So he, he's uh, pretty high up there. It's very few guys ahead of him. Uh, no realistic options currently for West Virginia ahead of him on the recruiting board. So, yeah, I think it's it's very much could be him as the highest rated player in this class. Their their bravado about recruiting has been well-founded, though. Yes. I mean, obviously they did very well this year, but the year before they were on track to be very good. And you've mentioned this before, they just kind of got they got derailed like everybody else did. So it's not completely their fault that it didn't go as, as emphatically as, at the finish, but still pretty good. Um, I, uh, I'm curious what they do in 23 because Harold should open some doors for them offensively. They need some offensive firepower, obviously. So can they get in the room with some receivers? Can they get in the room with a, a big time quarterback? What can happen there? And then I don't know that they're going to have some, I don't know. What, what do you think their position is? Not, not like position of, of need, but like their position going in, are they going to be like able to focus in on certain positions? Do they need so many spots to fill maybe not concentrated in, in like offense or defense but do they have a direction a theme for the upcoming class is it like they got to get good defensive players this year oh, yeah they got to get offensive firepower like what do you think is their their profile their focus this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from progressive it works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It, it's funny. I have not the, – the question about the you – know, one about what you just asked me there, but also the question from Jay Mall about the confidence – that, that was legit like a couple years ago. They were telling anybody and everybody that would listen that this is going to be the best class to ever be recruited at West Virginia. Um, they were not shy about it. I think even Neil Brown went on the radio show or even during a media press conference and was like, yeah, we're, we're doing that. Um, I have not gotten that, but it's not like they're, you, you know, thinking they're not recruiting at that level. I think now it's just that this is the norm now. Uh, like at the the coaches believe, mm. hey, we should recruit like this all the time. So we don't need to make a big deal about recruiting, you, you know, all these kids that that end up making this one of the highest rated classes ever. This is how we're supposed to recruit. So I think maybe that's part of why you're not hearing the bravado uh, about the recruiting cycle right now. As far as theme, I haven't noticed anything yet. I mean, they got a, a quarterback, a running back, a defensive lineman. They've been recruiting wide receivers uh offensive linemen they, they're recruiting all the spots equally i feel like i did notice something that uh, all of a sudden there's a i don't even know if you can call it a revival because i can't remember who the big time recruits are from south carolina that played at west virginia but west virginia's already got two commitments from south carolina in quarterback raheem jeter and defensive lineman Cameron jackson they are recruiting heavily several other players from South Carolina. And I mean, right now I'm looking at the target list for WVU. Um, and yeah, you see the usual suspects at the top as far as offers and everything goes. And it's Florida and it's Georgia, Pennsylvania, Ohio. And then usually 
you get to like Maryland, Kentucky, Michigan. It's not. It's South Carolina. And that is not something that I ever, I mean, I got double digit right now recruits from South Carolina. And West Virginia is a legitimate contender for every single one of them. All these guys have been to campus. I mean, I'm looking at, again, we've already mentioned Jeter and Jackson, but Jalen Rambert is uh, supposedly coming up later this month. Thomas Williams just put WVU in their top three, and he's coming up later this month. Uh, Apollo's Cook was a a really good-looking wide receiver that came through camp uh, and got an offer. He's been up multiple times. Trayvon West is a cornerback who came up to camp, got an offer, been up multiple times. Chris Lawson, another wide receiver who just got an offer this weekend when he was on campus for junior day. So I I don't know where this South Carolina uh, flair came from, but that seems to be a theme of this class. I like it. Direction. That's good. Something new, too. Uh, Another question from Jay Mall. What will be the biggest differences with Harrell at the helm compared to Neil and Parker? Do you have any criticisms of Harrell as such as what he may or may not do well or things you'd like to see him improve on? I don't know enough of his past offenses and, and specifically what problems his offense contributed to their teams. I know that Texas North Texas's offense is very good, and they had a, a pretty great quarterback who set a ton of records, and I know that USC was a mess last year, so... How much is him for the good and how much is him for the bad? I don't know about that yet, and I haven't talked to a ton of his peers or people who have played or coached for him that can say, this guy stinks at this or he has to work at that. I know that like every air raid coach, they want to run the ball a little bit more than they do, and he's gotten better at that. And I think when you look at their offensive line and the running backs they have this year and also Brown being in charge, that that's probably going to be something that they work on here. But I don't I don't know yet of, of criticisms of him. Um, I've heard that that he can be really hard on quarterbacks, I don't think that's unusual, though, for an offensive coordinator or a quarterback coach who played the position and was really, really good at it. In fact, that might be good. You might want that if you're a quarterback coming in and and knowing that this guy's going to want you to play it like he played it or see it like he saw it. So therefore, he, he's going to be on you. Um, I do think you're going to see practices that just look different. They're going to do small things in big doses. They're just going to focus on, you know, five or six plays and rep them like crazy. So there's a million different coverages you can do. And if you're just throwing three plays at him, you're just going to win on your confidence and your execution and your talent in that five or six play script that you have. So that's one thing I think you'll probably look at. Um, I remember that a bunch. That's that's kind of the essence of Air Raid, too. Just make it simple and just have a small package of things that you can throw into any defense and be good at. Um, and I thought that Brown and Parker were pretty good at their screen game. And, and when they wanted to, incorporating – motion and shifts and movement before the snap that wasn't very consistent and sometimes the screen was a detriment too. like sometimes they're running it into bad looks or throwing it to the wrong team near their own end zone that was bad but i thought that sometimes the screen game could be effective and that's by and large something that, that brown has done and, and that parker was able to do um and also like when they when they did pre-snap stuff and they got the defense unbalanced or created a gap or an advantage they were good but that just didn't happen as often as I thought, and I'm not sure you're going to see that a ton in, in Harold's offense. Next question from WVUG13. Uh, try to make these ones quicker. Uh, football first. How many more players are expected for 2022? Uh, answer is eight. That's uh, how many spots they have left. I would expect uh, about five transfers, maybe a couple high school kids. They're trying to add a couple more high school defensive linemen, maybe another secondary player, but a lot of the looks are going to be on the transfer market, and that may occur after spring. Um, Bingo. Basketball, same, WVG 13. With 10 scholarship players currently set for next season, what would be expected to fill out the roster? Keedy and McNeil can come back, if I recall, but would think Huggins and staff is looking for guards wings to fill out, just not through, sure, if through Portal, Juco, or recruiting. Mike, any thoughts? I imagine they're going to sell those too hard to come back. Um, I think Johnson will come back because he he could be very good, I think, another year in the system. And last year, I'm not going to say last year's lost year, but his role has grown so much this year, and I think you've seen him become a better player too. Imagine another year, and I think it'd be good for him. And for a junior college player, that's great. And also he's really tight with Taz Sherman, and we're seeing what's happening for Sherman. I'm sure that's a lesson that he can impart on his teammate there. Hey, stick around, and this will work for you. And McNeil, they're going to need they're going to need offense. So I think they're going to have to go really hard to try to keep those guys. I would factor that into what you're doing. 
Uh, and then, listen, they just they have to be big. We saw that yesterday or Saturday. Um, I know that McCormick's a bit of an outlier in the Big 12. There's not really anybody like him, and no one's using a big like him in the Big 12. Doesn't mean you shouldn't be borrowing from that playbook a little bit. So they can get a guy who can play with his back to the basket and be big and kind of give you that Colbert presence. I think that would be a pretty a pretty great thing to happen. Is it a transfer portal guy? Is it a recruit? I don't know. But, um, yeah, there, there's an obsession, obviously, with, like, you know, the 3 and D guys, the, the outside in wing players. I get all that. Um, you, you could add a, a high-scoring guard or, or a shooter or whatever. But, sure, do that. That's fine. But I think you have to, frankly, do better than Paula Cap and Kerrigan if you're trying to add size to the portal. And can you develop a guy you get on campus to be a big contributor under the basket right away? I don't know. We haven't seen that yet because of, you know, Njai or Oconquo. So can they get a ready-made big from the portal? We'll see. Or can they get somebody that they can recruit and then he can contribute because, you know, that's what he's done in high school. Trouble is, who's doing that in high school right now? Who's McCormick in high school? They don't really do that in AAU, and you're not seeing a lot of that in high school basketball anymore either. So that's a hard thing to find, you know, in high school games or AAU tournaments. So you really might have to lean on the portal and, and really nail some acquisitions. Uh, quick answer for me. The number one A priority is recruiting Sean McNeil again. Because, yeah, I'm with you. I think the, the biggest need, <clears throat> except maybe the big man thing, is uh, is, a, is a shooter, a scorer on the wings. Because you're going to lose a lot of that. You're going to need it back. And, and McNeil could come back. And if you can convince him to stay, get a little NIL money. Uh, because I, I I just I don't think Sean McNeil is going to go to the NBA. And if you're not going to the NBA, even if you go play overseas, right off the bat, the money is not great. And if you can get equivalent money through NIL and work on your master's degree, why would you not do that? Why would you not get your master's degree, get, I'm going to throw out a number here, 100 grand at WVU and know your role, know your spot, know you have it, or your other option is travel over to Argentina and the Ukraine and make $30,000 at each spot and be traveling all over the place, living in a, in a hostel or something. I would stick with West Virginia for another year if I were him. So mm-hmm. I think that's, that's a recruiting pitch that, that Huggins and them are going to have to make. Agreed. Uh, <clears throat> Palooza, have either of you seen anything like, for example, the Lions interview that was released that gives you any feeling as to whether Harold's hiring involved pressure being applied to Neil? If it was a hundred percent up to him, I wonder if he'd have run it back with the same staff. I covered this in my three things yesterday. I haven't seen anything, and you can read between the lines with Lions, I think, and what he said. Um, and you could listen to Brown, too. I think this was probably cooperative, but I think that the administration led the way. Um, I, I'm not going to repeat a lot of stuff for people who read it, but they got more time. But I don't think it was they locked him in a closet and said, don't come out until you agree to these changes. I think you probably sit down at the table at some point during the season and have some conversations, but you also nudge and say some personnel has to change here if we're going to get this going in the right direction. I'm with you. I was trying. I was hoping you were going to talk a little bit longer there, so I could find find the actual quote in the press release. I felt like there was a quote from Neil Brown where he said, "Oh man, I could have swore he said something to the effect, or maybe it was during his um, <clears throat> interview on on Sportsline." that we were not allowed to have Neil Brown, but he could go there. Uh, it's another point, but he said something to the effect of, you know, after talking it over with people, and, and it, it was something he said that was like, we, or the he and Shane, and or something that implied it was a group decision and, and not his own. So, yeah, I, I haven't heard anything specific, but just the way it was phrased, the way it's been talked about, makes me think this was a... Uh, Let's do this together kind of thing. I do have some specifics in my things, though. So they're, they're okay. just, kind of explain, just kind of explaining the situation and, and why it happened and how it happened. But also, it's not, it's not anything divisive that's going to split one from the other either. I think it's, you know, someone has to lead the way, I think. But I think that two people still have to go together on this. Next question from Elo. Are NIL opportunities or the lack thereof going to kill WU's chances for competing for a national title in football and basketball until something substantial changes to level the recruiting playing field? I don't think that specifically is going to do it, but it's not going to help. It, it certainly was a factor during football recruiting. 
Um, and the way that it's out of control now with steering guys to schools, which is not what was supposed to happen, but was inevitably what was going to happen. That's something that West Virginia, I don't know if they stuck their head in the sand and said, well, we're not going to do that because that's not what the spirit of the rule is. Or if they just didn't see it coming, I don't know. But I'm not sure that they also have an ability to channel up great NIL supporters, sponsors, whatever, to woo players to campus. So I'm not sure that they've done enough. I'm not sure how much they can do either. I will say this. They have to try. They have to be better. I'm with you. I feel like uh, the football thing, the, the football aspect of this, I feel is a little more difficult. And it's always a little more difficult with branding and marketing football players than it is basketball. Because with basketball, one, there are fewer players. Two, they're on the court. They're seen. Their faces are seen. Their personalities are seen. In football, most of the time, you know, they're one of 53 players in the NFL, like one in 120 kids on a football team in college, all wearing a helmet. Uh, you can't tell, you know, you're backed up. You're watching from your television. You can't tell who's really making the play half the time uh, or you kind of have an idea. You're not sure. Maybe it's this guy. Maybe it's that guy. Uh, so I think it, it's easier to market basketball. And I think West Virginia, uh, the basketball program has done a very good job of that. Football, I do think, was a little bit behind the eight ball on that. <clears throat> and, and we saw some complaints from some players from that early on. But it seems to have turned the corner, given the fact that a few of the guys that were considering leaving are now staying. And I think that was something that you and I have talked about before, where the, there are these guys like a Dante Stills, although I, I feel like Dante Stills might uh, is probably good enough to be drafted mid-rounds in the NFL. But like a Josh Chandler Samita, who's probably not going to get drafted if he went to the NFL draft, but is still a very good college player. So he should stay and get that NIL money. And I think that's that's where we've seen the football kind of turn the corner and help convince a couple of these guys to stick around, to stay, uh, contribute again next year and make a few bucks. And I think they're going to get that figured out as far as the luring players to the schools as their high school recruits. That has to be fixed. Uh, it desperately needs to be fixed and part of the problem is the high school rules are different from state to state some high schools still don't allow high school recruits to get money some high schools uh, some states do allow high school kids to get money and if you're allowing high school recruits to get money while they're still in high school it's going to be a problem so i think that's that's where you're going to have to kind of nip it in the butt it is from that side of things that, that no nil money until you get on campus uh, just worth mentioning, Toothman Ford, mm -hmm. Little General, and I apologize, I cannot think of the law firm that has the billboards all over Morgantown, and I'm, I, I don't want to take more time on that, but there are a couple people have, who have stepped up and have done things. Good for them. They, they've earned the mention on our podcast, I guess. I'm sure they woke up looking for that type of recognition this morning. <laughs> but, hey, it, it is happening, but it's just it's hard. Like They're going to have to find a way to – they will be able to speak to their players about NIL opportunities much easier when they're here because when you're in Morgantown, pepperoni rolls and, and things like that make more sense. But if you're some kid from, for example, South Carolina, like Tooth and Ford isn't going to mean a whole lot to you and it's not going to like move the needle and make you think about committing here. Cool. When you're on campus and you played here for a couple of years and they throw a big old truck at you, hey, I'll stick around. I'll stay. That's great. That's one way it works. But I wonder if or how they can actually leverage this to say, this is an opportunity that awaits you if you come here. And then can they make that resonate? And I'll say this. Uh, we, we were hard on basketball or football. Basketball's been really, really good about this, too. And they they had a longer runway to the, to the season. I understand that. But they've made it work. And when you're looking at a couple of players who already somehow earned, whether in, in cash or in kind, like six figures before Christmas, and then other people are catching on and, and making money, too, it's working there, too. So it, it's not impossible. It can work. But it's much easier once you get them here. But you could probably do better getting kids here that way as long as that loophole exists. Next question, Farm Nate T. There hasn't been an announcement about Reagan, correct? No announcement of tight end coats. So if you go external, that fills all positions. Da, 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 da. One, has he been quietly let go? Or two, has he found another job and hasn't been announced? Um, Take it. Can I, jump, can I jump in real quick on what I, I was telling you right before we got yep. on? Um, He's still be involved with what's going on. Uh, I have talked to multiple recruits. One who was on a quarterback who was on the phone with him 
with Sean Reagan just the other day getting an offer from West Virginia. Uh, a couple other recruits who were on campus for Junior Day on Saturday, January 15th, conversing and being recruited by Sean Reagan on behalf of West Virginia University. That's the extent of my knowledge. Now I'll pass it off to Mike. Well, he's not the quarterback coach, so let's not worry about that, right? Um, we could be sarcastic about this and say, just wake me up the day after signing day, because that's typically how this goes. You know, maybe maybe Graham Harrell has a tight end coach who's just fulfilling obligations where he currently works, and maybe Sean Reagan is doing the same thing, and he's going to be let go soon after. These contracts run out in, uh, or they, they take over again at the end of February, so there's a way to transition pretty smoothly on the calendar that way too. But there's also just the 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 way the college football is where guys will work to sign a day and then all of a sudden they change jobs the next day. That could happen too. Um, I, I just repeat that like initially it was pretty obvious that Reagan wasn't in that press release. And the moves for Parker and Scott both were like clearly stated in there. So that makes you think if they had an idea what Reagan was going to do, they would have used that occasion to announce that, which means he's probably not long for life here right now. And I think that they could move Reagan, but I don't think that they're sure they're going to do that. And that 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 hasn't really changed. The fact that he's here, that means he's committed to the job. I think that there would be a spot for him on this in this operation somewhere, if not in an on-field capacity. And then if something happened a year or two from now, you just bump him back up. Could he be an analyst? Sure, absolutely. Would he want that pay cut? I don't know. Um, but also, don't forget, too, there's there's four other guys or three other guys, I guess, who could leave on that staff. You know, Matt Moore probably not going anywhere, it seems. Um, there is a bond between Matt Moore and Graham Harrell. He was the offensive line coach at Tech, I think, Harrell's final two seasons at Texas Tech. So there's some link there. I'm not sure how much that matters. But, you know, did Parker like getting demoted? I don't know. Maybe he finds a new job. Did Chad Scott like um, not getting the bump? Maybe. Maybe he ends up somewhere else. We'll see. And if one or two of those guys leave and you have Reagan around, that's a pretty easy fix, too. So there's no rush to get him out. There's a spot for him in different different facets, different aspects, but there's also a chance there's not a spot here for him, too. Next question, also from Farm Nate. Uh, percentage chance of the starting QB for 2022. Goose, Green, Nico, and Portal QB not named Dart. What you got, Mike? I'm going to go, let's see here, Portal QB not named Dart. I'm going to go at like, like 10%. I would go probably Nico at like 40. I would go probably Crowder at like 33. And then that would leave me with like 17 for green. Okay. Wow. I thought I was going to be on an island here putting uh, Crowder ahead of green, but we're in agreement on that one. Um, uh, one of my exact numbers here, maybe like 30% Crowder, 30% Nico, uh, 15% Green, 15% Portal QB, something like that. Is that math? That's, is that math? That's not math. That's not good math. <laughs> That's not good math. That's not good math at all. Um, I, I don't I, know. I, but my, my point is I have been hearing from multiple people that – if it were going to be goose or green, that, that Crowder might be the option that the coaching staff prefers, that that he has been very good in practice, very good with the scout team, and, and he's going to get a legitimate shot. It seems to be that it's, hey, don't forget about this guy. He might actually be the favorite to be the starting quarterback for West Virginia next year. I need to see it. I just, I've heard a lot from them the past couple of years and haven't seen it, so I need to see it. But yeah, yeah everything said about him has been fun. Shavier's Fork, what is the deal with what's left to the wide receiver room coming back next year? BFW, Bryce Ford Wheaton, did two I'm coming back announcements. But from what I read, it appeared that he and others were considering transferring before the Harrell hire was announced. Are we done with attrition in that room? I believe you have the answers here too, right? Yeah, well, I mean, the, yes. We, we saw the BFW announcements, I'm coming back, and then it's gone, and then it's back, and then it's gone. Uh, I was told quite plainly that he was gone. Like I, between the three wide receivers I'm talking about here, uh, BFW, Sam James and Winston Wright, I heard more confident talk of Bryce Ford Whedon and Sam James leaving 
than I did Winston Wright leaving. And Wright ended up being the one leaving. And once we got the news of the Harrow hiring, I was told that essentially all three of them had said, I want to leave. West Virginia told them, hold on. Um, for those who are members of our site, if you'll recall, I wrote that story of the always, the recruiting never ends. And it was a picture of Jared Parker and Bryce Ford Wheaton as the, as the main picture. And I talked about that and how Parker was sitting there recruiting, re-recruiting his own players to stay. And, and that's why. And then I think later that afternoon, Wright announced that he was leaving because they had mount, made that push to keep all those guys in that room, convinced Ford Wheaton and James to wait, could not convince Wright to wait. Uh, and then once Ford Wheaton and James saw the news of the hiring, it seems like they are good, at least for the spring. It's a credibility thing, too. Like, they they really had to keep talent. We mentioned that. Retain, develop, that's important, too. But you're going to have to, again, you can, one reason that they had discontent and players transferring was that they did not buy the offense and they had a question about the quarterback. And that's obviously going to affect your receivers. We saw that. And to get a guy that can come in and you you can tell these guys, listen, we're going to make changes, whatever, whatever, whatever. They're going to have to hear something that makes them go, oh, um, that did. And that worked. So that's that's a credibility factor. And that's one reason that Harold's here. Like you could say we're going to make changes and hey, we need you. Sure. And then you could give them a name, too. And they might go, I'm not sure about that. They made some assurances that things are going to be better for them in this position. And then they threw a name behind it and that made those two guys go, oh, OK, this is much better than what I thought. Grass is pretty green here, it seems. So that's already a small victory right there. Yep. Uh, before we, we're going to finish with a portal question since I know that's your favorite, but before we get there, we got a couple quick ones from IXTKE420. Um, do we get back in the hunt with defensive lineman Starlings? And if so, what percentage do you give WVU landing him? And does Carver reclassifying help WVU? Um, the answers are yes and no. Uh, for mm. let's start with Carver reclassifying does not help WVU because. He was already getting looks after playing football for a grand total of three months. So you give him a whole other year. Uh, for those who don't know, Jackson Carver, uh, tight end from Indiana, uh, tight end, defensive end. West Virginia offered him uh, as an athlete, could play on either side of the ball. And he got that offer after playing football for three months. That was it. He's, he was a lacrosse guy, committed to Notre Dame for lacrosse. Uh, he has decided to reclassify to 2023, giving him a whole nother year of football. He has decommitted from Notre Dame for lacrosse and is focusing solely on football. And I think that is going to result in him getting a dozen or more offers. And regardless of who those offers are, it's still more competition than West Virginia was having, which was, you know, basically Notre Dame for lacrosse or West Virginia for football at the time. So it does not help West Virginia that he reclassified, but you can't blame him. You, you know, the only school, the only Power Five school, FBS school that had offered him a scholarship was West Virginia, and his lead recruiter, Travis Trickett, left. So it's understandable that he wants to take another year to kind of look this over. Uh, as for Joel Starlings, I mentioned this even before he decommitted from Michigan. No, I did not have hints that he was going to decommit from Michigan, but gave it in my update on the defensive line targets that I really felt like his relationship with A.J. Jackson was something special that was going to keep West Virginia in it. I was kind of stunned when he committed to Michigan. He's been to campus multiple times, uh, really bonds with A.J. Jackson. So I do believe West Virginia uh, will be in the picture. But you got to remember, this is a four-star top 247 kid that's got offers from everywhere. So percentages, probably pretty low, but a shot. Hmm. Um, Let's wrap it up. Salty Dog, 81.59. I am growing concerned with the seeming lack of action in the portal. What is your take? Are they trying and striking out? Or is there some strategy involved in thinking that waiting might get better value for the spots they have left to fill? We kind of mentioned this last time. They haven't done bad in what they've done. Quality, great. Quantity, eh, concerning. Um, of the eight spots they have left, you think they all go transfers? I think it's. I think ideally it would be like a 5-3, five, 5-3. Five, uh, five transfer three high school or six and two something like that so they've they've certainly looked at the quarterback situation they had tyson bajan on campus tuesday um so they have so they're working on it and i don't think that they just they isolated their efforts to just quarterback they have other needs you talked about some some offensive line possibilities um safety i'm sure they're looking into that 
I just think that you're going to have a better idea about who needs a replacement and what position needs filled after the spring. You're likely to lose players in the spring, so you might have answers now that don't match the reality after spring football. So you might be you might be plugging a hole now and then finding out you needed to plug a different hole later. So the work they've done so far is good. Could it be better? Again, quality's fine. Quantity could be different if you want quantity. Yeah, you could be upset right now. And there's a lot of talent out there, too, especially in spots that you know West Virginia does have an Eden. Like, they need receivers. They're going to need receivers after the spring, too. Didn't add a receiver. Um, have they tried? Not very public on that stuff. And, again, we've been over this. Transfers don't really do a whole lot of that that uh, high school-like boasting about offers and things like that because they've been through it before, and this is kind of a quick get-in, get-out thing typically in the portal. They're not trying to drag it out. So, yeah, that could be upsetting. But I still think that it's not done and, and that they, they can be much more exact – with, again, a kind of a replenished talent pool after the spring. So they're going to have to get probably a receiver, probably a safety, some other spots there. But, like, you could say that now, but that might not be the same level of concern. Or you might have more confidence. You might have a lower level of concern after the spring. So I think they have to be kind of exact. They don't have a great history on transfers either, too. So if they're taking their time and trying to be more precise and making sure they hit, not necessarily a bad thing. All the guys that you're trying to add at this point right away, it, the only guys you want to add right now are guys that are going to be able to enroll right now. There aren't, that's not every transfer. It's not every transfer. And you also want to add guys that are going to help right away. Also not going to be every transfer. Um, we've talked about that ad nauseum with the quarterback situation. So there, there's very specific guys that are trying to recruit. But if they're not getting them for the spring, not getting them for immediate help, then why rush it? Would you like to take a stab, Michael, at how many FBS players entered the NCAA transfer portal from Wednesday to Friday of last week? Uh, 275. Well, I, well, well, whoa, 275. The answer was 60, but <laughs> it's still a lot. It's a lot. Um, it just felt like 275. We, we might have to go back and edit that, and I, we'll we'll set it up a little better, but... Um, it's 60. It's, it's still a lot. I mean, I think if you go into D2 and group of a group of five and FCS, you're going to get up into those couple hundred numbers that you're talking about there. I'm talking FBS only transfers, 60 some kids. Hmm. And people ask why now, why now, which uh, there's going to be some people that hear this answer and they're not going to like it, but the reason why now that kids are getting in the portal is because they just got their scholarship money guaranteed for the spring. <laughs> this is going to be a harsh reality, but um, they got their scholarship money guaranteed for the spring. They, uh, as the kids say, secured the bag. And now they answered the transfer portal and their spring semester is tra- paid for, even if they do not play spring football for their current school. So they got their scholarship money. They're good. And now a bunch of kids are entering the portal. Um, protect yourself. Like I'm, I'm not holding it against any of them. It is, it is the reality. It's the way it's been for a while. This isn't something new either. But there are going to be more guys that enter the portal over the next few days. As schools go back to campus, guys get their scholarship money and then announce that they're leaving. So I think there's going to be a replenishment of the portal. You'll see West Virginia touch base with a few of these guys. There's no need to rush it with these guys because they're going to finish out their spring semester at their current school and won't be able to roll enroll until May. Um, and then you'll see them also wait until after spring because after spring there'll be another surge of players entering the NCAA transfer portal. Uh, uh, West Virginia will lose a few as well. Uh, and, and then you'll touch base with those guys and those guys will be able to enroll in May as well. So I think we said eight eight spots. Ideally, you got like a five and three, like maybe five transfers, uh, one or two high schoolers and one or two JUCO players. I think you're going to see a lot of those additions happen in March, April, and May. I don't know how many you're going to see in the next month because I think if we would have seen them, we already would have seen them. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think it's – um. Yeah, I, I, it's it's such a hard question to answer too because I think people want to see the splash and and when you make a couple of marks like they did on the on the on the scoreboard with the guys they already acquired, um, 
you, you want to see more of that. I, I just think they can do that, like you said, in the spring, and you wouldn't be as concerned. Yeah. Was that too much of a reality, the uh, scholarship money thing, Mike? I love it. It's one of my favorite parts of the year, to be honest. <laughs> I, I think it's great. Like it's it's, and they can't do anything about it too. So good for the kids and trying to make sure that they they get that. Now, I don't know. Now, I guess now is that something that they can ever change? I don't know if they will, but I wonder if like schools are tired of having um the the wool yanked down and they're like, wait a minute, we can fix this, can't we? Probably can't. So good for them. Like take advantage of it while you can. I don't have a problem with that. Yeah. I have no other answers. If you have no other questions, we have no other questions on the board right now. So. Well, it sounds like you have a very important question, a very important phone call coming. I uh, thought I muted that one. Did not, so I better go answer this. It must be very important. Perhaps something will pop up on the website today. Who knows? News always breaks when we record. Maybe it broke right at the end of the recording. Only one way to find out. Until next time, I'm Mike Casaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. Talk to you later.